0: For trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free, or perhaps one that came directly from us, there is Liberation Martial Arts Online. Thanks to Cultist Zero, Derek Revis, and Comrade Ren for signing up. If you want to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online, or want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can also find uncut versions of our shows along with Fighters Brew and SDS 9 on Patreon. This is Sam.
1: This is Jason. And this is Fight Study.
0: This episode was sponsored by SHM Shelton, Berkshire People's Gem and New Guy. Coach Jason and I are back to discuss UFC 287, which might as well be called UFC MAGA. It was in Miami, and yes, we've talked about how reactionary the UFC can get, but this was the most reactionary UFC event of all time, and that's saying something. As one Twitter user put it, You could have called it a recruiting event for Bay of Pigs 2.0. You had the whole Trump clan there, all sitting next to Dana White and Kid Rock and Mike Tyson. Lots of Trump hats in the arena. Shout outs to Ron DeSantis and air quote, freedom and America. Fighters kissing Trump's ass. Nearly every post-fight speech and antics was awful. You also had the commentary kissing Trump's ass and making Dana White sound like a humanitarian. Then the weird criticism by John Annick, I think during the prelims, about one of the ring card women for being on her phone and quote-unquote not working. For people who only watch the main event and at a bar, you probably have no idea how bad the commentary can get, and that's probably for the better. This being in Miami also reminds me of the right-wing post by Danny Segura, formerly of MMA Fighting and now MMA Junkie, where he says he never posts politics, even though he lives in South Florida, so literally said nothing during George Floyd protests and all the bigotry in Florida. But then he says his takeaway from living in South Florida is, fuck Cuba. That tells you a lot about where some of the MMA media are coming from. Then you got the UFC merging with WWE, with two abusers in charge, and of course, their partnership with Disney, and of course, the parent company, William Morris Endeavor, formerly being the representatives for Donald Trump. It all really shows you how Hollywood being liberal is a lie. They're all in bed together and just brand in whatever way they think will make them more money. But to a bigger point, what happened to no monopolies? Is that no longer a thing? How was Disney not broken up when now 65 to 70 percent of Hollywood works for them and they own most of the content and now WWE and UFC are going to merge into one super company? But what's really wild is that UFC and its fans are more surreal than WWE. Jay Snowden on Twitter said he finds MMA very interesting on a conceptual level, but the people it attracts, he finds often morally reprehensible and not in a fun way. I don't know what he means by a fun way, but I mostly agree with that. MMA as an art form and sport is very interesting to me. That's what I like. The problem-solving aspect, the strategic aspect. The people and culture, not so much. Even some of the lefty fans in MMA who are often more MMA culture than leftist. Jason,
1: did you have anything you wanted to add? Fuck, Sam, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I wonder if the bulk of the alt-right MMA fan base even understands the term right wing authoritarian personality. Because that's them. Not in a nutshell. In the broadest of terms, that is who they are. Have they any clue or inclination of their fundamental absence of logic and or any fucking self-awareness? I mean, for the love of all things hypocritical and with a side helping of conformity and submission. And the fucking fighters, man. I mean, to, to cozy up and curry favor with their almighty overlords in the hope that what? Maybe, fucking maybe they get a commentary gig one day. You know, or an extra pair of rocks, shitty fucking sneakers. I mean, I don't don't mean to swear, but I I had a big problem with this event. It was was hard for me to watch. But fuck, man. These guys are like the toughest of tough individuals, and they do things their own way. Only under the way of the great white regime that is their fucking ruler, their mighty overlords. They have no problem kissing ass, but at the same time, calling everyone else fucking (laughs) sheep. sorry i digress which as i tend to (laughs) (laughs) but we aren't a commentary
0: podcast where it's two people shooting the shit about the event and giving their review of it and what happens next because we care about the art form so we're here to study fights from a coaching and training perspective i would just be negligent if i didn't mention the context of the event so let's talk about the main event the fourth Combat sports fight between Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya and their second fight in MMA. It was for the middleweight championship. Last time, Pereira won with a fifth round KO. This time, Adesanya won with a second round KO. The tenor of the second fight was much different from the first. And in my opinion, it was even a better showcase of striking from both fighters, even though it was short. And unlike the first, it looked like Pereira was pulling away as far as accumulated damage and backing out of Sanya to the cage until he lost. Jason talk us through this fight and Izzy's strategy of playing possum.
1: Let's say this about Izzy. He was defensive when hurt, but and because he's been hurt by this man before multiple times, but more importantly, he had no problem respecting the power of Pereira without failing to implement his own offense at times, you know, whether, um, and defensively, whether covering up or whether he was giving ground, he was very, very patient and and very dialed in against Pereira, who, you know, what I saw from him, even though at times very dominant because he is that heavy of a hitter, I think he was throwing too many single strikes against the former champ. And Adesanya can compute that shit. Um, but at the same time, who am I to tell Pereira not to not to hunt that single shot since he has that one hitter quitter? Um, but Adesanya was starting to pick up on some of that, that timing, um, even though he was a little worse for the wear for it with, with the calf kick. And he got hit by what I thought might've been the stiffest jab from anyone under 200 pounds of all fucking time. So
0: <laughs> yeah, to your point, it seemed like Pereira was sticking to what he did the first time around, which was a lot of single shots, but this time Adesanya was throwing a lot more combinations
1: especially just with punches. He was. And when he got countered, he would respond with uh, a strike or two and, or a punch or two and then a big kick to the body. Mm-hmm. And, and that commitment to the body, I thought was really, really smart because it didn't really let Pereira reset. And when he couldn't reset, his rhythm was disrupted. You want to keep that kind of puncher, that kind of heavy striker, you want to disrupt their rhythm. You want to keep them having to readjust, having to reset their feet, or having to take a breath and catch a beat before they go again. And Izzy's also got a good chin. And but he he is and with all his athletic gifts, he's a very, very smart fighter as well and being able to put those, and and he's fucking grizzled. I mean, he was getting hit with some shots and coming back with big body kicks of his own. And before he found that right hand two times in a row to end it, he was getting hit with some shit. He was getting pieced up and getting roughed up a little bit, but he has that kind of um, visual acuity and, and grit that even if he's getting, I mean, he was getting pushed around. A little bit against the cage until he decided, hey man, it's time for me to fight back. So he was smart enough to cover, and he put ego aside until he started acting like a complete dickhead afterwards. But he put it aside. But hey, if, if I had that happen to me where I got lunched a couple of times, <laughs> I might be a complete dickhead too. So it's it's cage fighting. I'd like to think they could all be better people, but you know, I think it's a bit of a fool's errand. But that's what I really want to highlight about Israel Adesanya is that. A man who had been pulverized multiple times you know was able to weather a storm and find that shot and I don't think uh, most people who've never endured that kind of stress or that kind of duress or that kind of that kind of true courage under fire you'll never understand how impressive what Izzy did was
0: now to clarify a uh, coaching point that you made right because for listeners, Jason was a longtime MMA coach, coached even at the UFC level. And so for you, maybe you sometimes say something and don't realize not everybody understands that point or that's not common knowledge for them. So let's break it down and slow it down a little bit. You said something about throwing something out there just to break the rhythm, just to make them reset. So what you're saying is sometimes, even if you're not hurting them, or landing something, just throwing something out there, if all it does is nothing else than to break their rhythm, there is something positive to that.
1: Absolutely. One, uh, a good example is Izzy's jab to his half jab, where it just sort of lays it out there because his jab is so long, so fast, and so accurate. That second jab that he doesn't follow through and doesn't fully extend on is still in the, the sight line of the person he's fighting and the brain maps that they they see it and it creates a little bit of a flinch response or you at least have to account for it have to account for it you have to account for it right it's there if not he's just gonna piece you up with that jab and he's got the length and the speed and the skill to do so so when we talk about decoy shots throwaway shots half shots you know these are to to occupy the sight line and um, occupy their mind Oh, absolutely. Because you're you're bracing for a second. And even if you do do decide to throw, your mind has computed. This is a lot of muscle memory. Like they're not thinking about all of this stuff in milliseconds. Like so you wanna map it, interpolate position, uh, or hand position and start to to map out where they're going to be and how you're going to react. So Adesanya decided he was gonna put that one and a half in his face, and it was the, the half shot that created a second pause and or, or a millisecond of a pause. And when that first jab lands, the brain goes, oh, man, this might come again. And so you, 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 you get frozen a little bit. And as quick as Pereira is for a big man, Adesanya is a little bit quicker. And, you know, if you want to say who's the better striker based on who hits harder, it's Pereira. If you want to say who's the better striker based on technique and dexterity, it's it's Izzy. So, I mean, you can pick your poison.
0: Mm. So even decoy shots or throwaway shots can plant a seed of doubt.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Kevin uh, Kelvin Gasolum does that so well. When he throws his jab to nowhere, it doesn't land. But he walks through with that left hand, that straight left. And he just fucking ices people where he used to, and you know the it, it's even better of a shot when you have a good jab. So another great shot is the decoy left hook that they, they snap back, and this is why I don't like fighters moving straight back over and over and over because that that hook just misses, and you step through with that right hand, bang. You catch that too, whenever they feel like you know they've got uh, they got the they got the reflexes and 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 the they have your timing right. They feel good about it. Then all of a sudden you just step through and bang, you crack them and you put them at the end of that shot. You don't have their timing. <laughs> you thought you did, but you don't. You do till you don't. <laughs> that's it.
0: That's it. You do till you don't.
1: Yeah. And that's fighting. That's that. That is fun. especially mixed martial arts with the multiple skill sets at play in play. Yeah, you do it till you don't. I mean, we okay. can speak to to you, you. You did till you didn't in a lot of these fights, <laughs> a lot of them, the Yanis fight included. Now,
0: it appeared to be two different strategies: deterministic versus opportunistic. Pereira seemed to be dictating how the fight was going, where it took place, the terms, and even his win conditions, which is Arasania against the fence. Arasania, on the other hand, seemed like He wanted to dictate where the fight took place, but he couldn't. But then he also had a plan B. So he had plan A and plan B. He had multiple plans. So to your point, MMA is more complicated because of all the different skill sets. But you could also have from a good camp, multiple plans. So when plan A didn't work, he went to plan B. Because he more than once, when he realized he was already near the fence, just walked back against the fence. But still remaining in stance this time, right, instead of flat against it, and shelled up. But the last time he risked getting KO'd against the fence, he KO'd Pereira. That's the thing about being opportunistic. It's a gamble, but when it pays off, it pays off big time. Jason, though Pereira has the power advantage, do you think Arasania
1: takes a better shot than Pereira? See, that's... That's a good question because I wonder how many fighters can take a double overhand right to the goddamn temple and stay standing (laughs) against against another world championship fighter, right? (laughs) A fighter of that caliber, you know what? And what I will say is this: like, here's the difference between the two, in my opinion. Izzy definitely respects Pea's power more than Pea respected Izzy's power, and that is a mistake. You have to fight. Like this person in front of you is still dangerous. You don't have to overly respect them. But if you fight like they don't have the goods to be there with this blatant level of disrespect with your like all offense, then like, you're going to get blasted with double overhand rights and both are going to land on your temple and you're not going to react to either. The only reaction from Pereira was literally his head getting punched backwards. And that was his reaction. And then as he rebounded position, he got hit again so like at that point maybe another like a a nice two to the body coming back upstairs to the hook pivoting off just a little to to pressure him against the cage not giving him a a true exit and then throwing some of those heavy knees Uh, i just see and and i love the offensive part of this game and let's face it put out a hit so goddamn hard like 90 percent of the the MM, non-MMA fan base could just sit in the corner going, throw it again. <laughs> and Banana's going to be like, top five in the world. He's going he's gonna to occasionally win a world title. He hits that hard. But you have to understand and respect the problems that someone like Israel Adesanya can pose. If not, they're going to fucking catch you, man. That's just it. You know what I realized
0: is because we have monsters like Yuri Prohaska, who will take a shot like that and then just like spin around and they keep fighting, you're like expecting that response from everybody. And you have to realize like sometimes, you know, those type of monsters are outliers. That's why there's like only one Yuri Prohaska. And, you know, there are some other fighters like that who just, as you put it, fight like their hair is on fire when they get hit.
1: And and they're able to, you know, the fight gods have blessed them with something special. Right, and you're like, I don't know what that is. I couldn't coach that. I couldn't teach that. Um, also, like you brought up the point, like how good is Izzy's chin? Izzy's chin is really good, which is fucking really unfair when you when you <laughs> consider how truly good he is as a fighter. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I don't know anyone that can really get anyone that isn't uh, Canelo Alvarez can get can get away with throwing double overhand right. <laughs> but but Izzy did against probably one of the most dangerous left hookers um sub 200 pounds and he he did it and he he did it against uh you know um against uh, a ghost that haunted him pretty uh pretty thoroughly throughout his career
0: adesanya is known for his footwork but in this fight you really saw how Pereira glides around the ring and was so good at cutting off and pushing adesanya to the cage but it wasn't anything fancy it was just small purposeful steps used consistently No neo footwork. A note to our listeners if you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles. Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at salpopod.com. The fight was high level and both made adjustments from their last fight. What other adjustments did you see from both camps? you listed some of the things Arasanya made. Were there some things you saw from Pereira where you were like, oh, okay, you learned from the last fight?
1: Not so much that I think he learned from the last fight. I think he always trusted that he was gonna find his shots, and he did. And I, I liked when he went downstairs for a moment um, with that straight right right to the body. But he also was able to to take what was available after like kicking the the lead calf of Izzy so many times, you would start to see some stance switches. And then whenever he would settle on a stance switch, Pereira would throw that that right high kick. Um, and I thought it would have behooved uh, Pereira to string together some combinations that wouldn't allow. As, as much ground as Izzy was giving at times, he was, he was fighting on the lead quite a bit too and bringing it and that again we talk about rhythm disruptions against someone who hits like that i don't think you want that slow of a pace well he just sort of sets up in times and plots i think you want him working a little more rapidly i don't think you just want to stay in the pocket and start start banging with him right inside but you keep him on his heels every once in a while and force him to reset i think that's going to that's going to benefit you long term and you in to say this about izzy he was getting closer and closer to that right hand throughout the fight, to the point where, if I I had already heard the result before I had before I viewed the fight, but and I don't know how much is that that bias just permeating my brain that su- that suggestive nature of knowing what's happening, but I'm like, God damn man. That they said they said it was a second round knockout by right hand. I thought it might be coming in the first because some of those shots were just missing. And if you watch it again, watch how many right hands. Just missed. So, and not that I think that fatigue was an issue, but I think it was um, Izzy's ability to come closer and closer. You know, earlier in the fight, it was with that jab, half jab setup, and in the you know with less than a minute left or whatever it was in the second, it was after he was getting bombed on a little bit. Neither one of them have the best hand position, but both have pretty solid defense. Also, they they have great chins. But when Pereira is being offensive, his shoulders tend to square, and he loads that left hook. And if that left hook is loaded, it's not at your fucking chin, man. And y- you can get caught with double overhand rights when you're right after uh, a series of strikes that you've landed and a moment of dominance um, towards the the ending towards the close of a round. One of the things
0: I talk a lot about in our Liberation Martial Arts curriculum is the concept of perception. The way Pereira stands, which is what I call the H stance or forward stance, which is what you're referring to where his shoulders are even, is where both his feet are pointed forward and his rear heel is raised and his torso is also facing forward. So you can't tell what he's going to throw because his shoulders and hips are all facing forward. This makes him a nightmare to fight because you can't tell what's coming, but it also maximizes his reach. It's similar to a lot of old school boxers like Archie Moore, who took a similar stance. The weakness is defense. However, because you're not looking at your opponent from the side of your eye, but head on, you have much better vision and depth perception. So it's easier to see everything. So like Archie Moore or George Foreman, Pereira uses his hands as obstacles to parry or swat the opponent's strikes away rather than using the classical shelling up. What drives all this is vision. The further I am from someone, the more I can perceive their actions. The closer I get is like zooming in. I go from looking at their whole body to only their face. That's why when I teach a jab to the face, I still tell people to keep looking at the chest not the head, because when you look at the chest, you'll see the head anyway, whereas when you look at the head, that's all you see, so you won't see the counters and you'll forget about moving away because you're so tunnel visioned. For Pereira, what happened at the end, he was trying to catch Adesanya with the hook again, but when he jumps in close for that tight hook, he suppresses his greatest weapon, which isn't his hook, but his vision. So he couldn't see Adesanya's counter. Part of that opportunity is because Pereira need Arasania, with Arasania falling to Pereira's left, which lined him up for the right, which is the danger of opportunistic game plans. It still relies on some amount of luck. Pereira lined Arasania up for him and didn't clinch him to attack like most other MMA fighters would because in kickboxing, you can't really clinch. And Pereira still fights like he's in kickboxing rules, not even Muay Thai rules where clinches are allowed. Even in their last fight, when Arasanya rocked him, a couple of things happened. First, Arasanya threw a false jab, or as you called it, a half jab that wasn't meant to land, but only cover Pereira's eyes. So his visual eye line that you talked about. Then, Arasanya landed the right. The shot after that, Pereira couldn't see anyway because of the ref. Again, vision. Pereira's game is so reliant on his eyes rather than even automatic defenses like. Automatically weaving after a right. A lot of fighters like Arasania will defend a shot even if it's not coming or whether he sees it or not because defense is also a reflex. Pereira doesn't seem to have that. Even in this fight, Arasania threw the false jabs again, even though he probably didn't need them just to make sure Pereira's eyes couldn't see him. So his camp studied Pereira really well. And though I'm all about vision, there actually can be too much of a good thing, especially because in MMA, your vision will deteriorate. Now, if Pereira either came all the way in with a clinch and then threw uppercuts or stood further back and attacked with long-range strikes, he can maximize his vision. I think Pereira has become too reliant on his Sunday punch, his left hook, which tends to run counter to his primary advantage, vision. Jason, how can Peta maximize his vision?
1: Well, it's hard because you don't want to, and we speak to this um, a lot. You don't want to, in order to improve an aspect of a fighter's game, you don't want to take away what makes that fighter so dangerous. At the same time, his left hook is that money punch for him, but at at the same time, this is this is mixed martial arts. The the things that if you miss a hook heavy and over rotate and you give some easy path to your hips well if israel Adesanya's taking you down your wrestling's not that great so um, you need to make some better again i feel like a dickhead saying this but you need to understand that there is a world-class fighter in front of you and a moment to break off after you get them hurt is different than just swarming and making their ability to counter with anything because you are so close you were literally face to face with another human being and you're when you get wild and reckless there the danger posed by that person in front of you is amplified and that lack of like in sparring, I see it all the time. People will just accidentally get headbutt or hit with an elbow, when, when elbows are off the table, because they are that close, and it is a violent, chaotic sport. So, why you wouldn't sort of use true MMA cage techniques? And just, but at the same time, like he won last time, bombing <laughs> him against against the cage. So I don't know what to say. Like You can improve upon it, but I would never want to take away. Everything is Monday morning quarterbacking, which is which is the beauty of what it is we get to do. Right, we get to analyze after the fact, but just a little bit more patience in measuring. But again, if you're the if you're the guy who knocked out Israel Adesanya three times or whatever it was, like it, I guess you can take that one on the chin or or at least on the temple twice in a row. <laughs> For
0: Adesanya and his camp, it seemed like they knew if Adesanya shelled up, Pereira would crash his own distance, which would give Adesanya an opportunity. So it really was great planning by city kickboxing and execution by Adesanya. But it also takes a lot of courage to do this, to risk being KO'd to look for your own shot. So it speaks to Adesanya's composure. I talked about the reactionary backdrop of this event. And composure ties in perfectly with that point because the reason so many fighters turn to reactionaries like Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson is because they need to gas themselves up to believe they're better than everyone else, that they're unique, that they're chosen. And right-wing politics appeals to that. And sorry to break it to Adesanya fans who either don't know or blocked it out of their memory, but this also includes Adesanya who is also a fan and friend of Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, and lesser-known alt-right influencers like Andrew Schultz. Adesanya even went so far as to defend Rogan's use of the N-word, basically saying he has his permission, and made accusations that a left-wing conspiracy was out to get Rogan and other right-wing personalities. There's more examples than this, but that doesn't make Adesanya unique. He's just like most MMA fighters who are symptoms of chud MMA gyms, coaching, and culture. It's really hard not to be this way. What's weird is to project images onto fighters that's not them, especially an image they would be offended by or reject, like an image of what they would view as being a liberal snowflake. You might like that image, but that doesn't mean they do. So if you're a fan, be a fan of who they are, not who you want them to be or be a fan of their fighting and that of their character. That's even better. You can try that because fandom is always going to be biased and problematic and make you a hypocrite to all your other principles. Now, occasionally you have fighters like Muhammad Ali, Habib Nurmagomedov, Evander Holyfield, and George Foreman who rely on faith instead to draw their strength and self-belief from. There's a lot of religious fighters. I would say the majority are but most do a hybrid of reactionary religion plus reactionary toxic masculinity self-help. Which in the right-wing sphere, religion and self-help is real fluid. Martial arts tends to be very religious right-wing and libertarian. I literally never heard of libertarianism or people who identified as one until I walked into my first BJJ slash MMA gym. That's also when I saw my first don't tread on me flag. Pretending a lot of these people are left-wing is not doing them any favors because they hate that shit. To them, it's like being called weak. To lefty listeners, being left is something you're proud of, so you want to project it onto things you like. But to most in the martial arts world, that's like a scarlet letter. They, trust me, won't take it as a compliment and won't think you're doing them some kind of favor. Now, this event had a lot of good fights, but many of them went the way you expected. And there wasn't a lot of craft. Like Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal was a shutout, with Burns beating Masvidal like everyone expected. Raul Roses Jr. showed that even if you're young and can fight in the UFC, you shouldn't, especially at bantamweight, because you do need that regional experience to get you ready for the UFC. Skipping that amateur and regional experience, especially if you don't have that world level wrestling background, and are already older, in the long run can hurt your career, especially at 155 and below. 155 and below is the real pro league, in my opinion. And so for you to fight there, you really have to be ready. One fight that didn't go as expected, but showed a lot of craft before it ended was Rob Font versus Adrian Yanez. Now we've both been high on Adrian Yanez because of his potential, but similar to Rosas Jr., being a prospect just means you have potential. You still need to develop your potential. Yanez, unfortunately, had his coach die of COVID. And I don't know what the specifics are, but a lot of the MMA world completely took COVID lightly or got conspiratorial about it. But that left Yanez coaching himself for a while, which I think hurt his development. Then for this fight, I think he linked up with Eve Edwards. And your first fight with a new coach is always an adjustment period. Edwards has also bounced around a lot from gym to gym. He was training Mickey Gall for a while and Holly Berry or her MMA movie. So maybe now he's trying to plant roots and start a team. But he's much more known as a pioneer MMA fighter. As far as a coach, I still don't know. So I still like Giannis, but cautiously. When I liked him, he was with Saul Solis, but now post salise I don't know what he will become. We saw what a coach dying did to Kevin Lee's potential. So we'll see. Also, this was a huge step up in competition to fight Rob Font. This fight, like the main event, was competitive until it wasn't. Jason, what did you see?
1: Well, well look, first let me say I love Giannis. I do, but god damn, it, if he wasn't all gas and no brakes in this fight. <laughs> and and he had his moments. And let, let's just put put my bias aside for a minute. What I did see was Font come out immediately and put together three tuck three combinations with I think a total of like nine or eight or nine or maybe even ten punches in those three combinations before he decided to settle down and throw one solo jab. But the, the, what I thought was impressive at that time was Giannis seemed to see all of that combination punching and looked good defensively when he was faced with multiple punches. But almost every punch Giannis threw took his head to center line, to center line. And I love the kid. And it, it was working at times when he found his right hand but fucking Rob Font is ranked sixth in the world for a reason. And his chin was rock solid as usual. I mean, the guy's never been knocked out uh, in professional mixed martial arts. So what I saw is a, a great young fighter in Giannis who was going to have to learn to elevate his game with more than just aggression when he's he's posed with, with bigger wrists uh, in the top 10 of the division.
0: Okay. I wanted to ask you about that, about moving his head to the center line, because was it just Giannis getting overzealous, looking for the overhand counter, or was there more strategy to this, or was it just a bad habit?
1: Huh, man, I don't know, I, but I didn't like it, and I saw it immediately. And I'll, I'll say it again, right, because it bears repeating everything Giannis, every every jab Giannis threw, brought his head to center line. For
0: listeners, that's a little bit weird, right, because traditionally, when you throw a jab, you slip to the
1: outside. To the outside, right? You don't headbutt right hands, and <laughs> and 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 when he, and I think he did that to bring his body through to throw his right hand. I don't know. That, that's the only thing I can think. Um, and when he actually brought his head off center line, it was right into fucking Rob Font's right hand. So it would be, I would be more critical of his strategy if he wasn't cracking Font a shitload in a three-minute fight. But you need more than the more than that at the highest level of the game. You hear me say it. If you want to be world class, you've got to bring world class shit. And he's he's facing Rob Font. And you need a greater understanding of head positioning, not just I mean, you can fight. I like his I like Giannis' stance behind that. His chin is behind his shoulder. I like the way he throws punches, but I didn't like the way he was putting his head into harm's way constantly, as if Rob Font, and hear me on this: he fought Rob Font as if Rob Font couldn't punch, and I think that's fucking dumb. That's all I can say. And as good as as good of a skill set as Giannis has, he need to he needs to make those adjustments.
0: It's the same thing you said about Pereira: you have somebody world class in front of you, but you're fighting like the person in front of you is not world class.
1: Yeah, it's like every gym bro hard ass reactionaries like you don't gotta respect his shit man you just go out there and do you I mean (laughs) or you could respect his shit a little bit and win, you know? But they like to make it a coin flip. And my old coach, Billy Briscoe says it's easy to be brave with another man's blood. And it is you go out there, just put it on him. That's not fucking advice, man. That's not even a good (laughs) Rocky speech. It's silly and ignorant and completely devoid of, of any true strategy. And the reason some of these fighters are so great is because their physical ability is off the chart. But if you want to reign supreme and be elite for a long period of time, some strategy is best employed to, to couple and supplement and work synergistically with your other skills. Now, you said you noticed
0: right away he was slipping his head to the center line. At what point do you think Rob Font realized this also?
1: I think Rob Font realized it as he was getting punched in the face by Yanez. And it's just like, I don't want to say that Font is lucky, but I think he is very aware of his chin. I'm not saying he's lucky he has that chin. Well, he is. He also is because you're blessed with that. You're not working on your chin in the gym. But, he does have that poise and that pocket presence, but he was getting blasted. At the same time, he started to intercept Giannis' jab with his own. And then he would just be, he would eat that jab and throw a counter right hand. And though he was he was looking a little worse for the wear, he was starting to find his shots, even after losing exchanges uh, with Giannis. So I think he was starting to compute it. And hey, to Giannis' credit, he was, piecing up an excellent boxer in, in the division again until he wasn't <laughs> and then things changed pretty rapidly so imagine if he did that with just a, a, the occasional consideration of defense or stepping off when as good as as yana's jab is when he was putting a kick behind and he was landing some kicks so you can start punching as, as with the excellent punching ability of Giannis, you get that you can punch people into kick range more often. When he did, because um, it was was only a three minute long fight or whatever it was, but you can you can get more of that if you are just a little bit more patient. And against some of the best in the world, top five, top top six, even in the deeper weight classes, top ten, you're going to need that. You know. If
0: you love the Southpaw project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at SouthpawPod.com. That's how deep bantamweight is, right? Yanez was number eleven. Font isn't even in the top five. So you really got to be respectful and bring your best game if you want to survive at bantamweight, which is also where Raul Roses Jr. is.
1: Yeah, and think about how uh, how complete these fighters are at 135 pounds. It's just really impressive. Even the 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 worst wrestler there is better than the best wrestler at 185 pounds. That isn't Brunson. One thing that was
0: cool to watch live was Font making those adjustments, even though he wasn't successful in the exchanges where he was starting to figure it out. He was starting to throw these like right uppercuts that were missing. But it was like he computed that his head is there. And then when he did hit him, it wasn't an uppercut, right? It was like a right straight. But he adjusted and realized even before he started landing on him that the opportunity was there. Unfortunately, Yanez was also seeing these shots miss and wasn't computing like, oh, I should stop putting my head here or maybe I should just step away. <laughs> he just stayed in the pocket until he got caught.
1: Well, I, I think your point that it wasn't computing for one fighter while it was for the other. So when, when, it, when Yanez started to have success with some stuff because Font's chin is so good and because he was so aware of like the whys and hows that he got hit, he was taking in that information, thinking, "If he does this again, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find that shot." And he started to see that slowly unfold, and it almost seemed like the more, uh, the more good shit that Giannis landed, the greater the like the problem solving ability of Font was in real time, which was great to see. And other than the fact that like Giannis is one of my favorite fighters.
0: Now, you talked about Font jabbing with Giannis, And Giannis is really known for making people pay for jabbing him. He's really good at countering the jab, which is maybe partially why he was slipping that way to look to counter. I don't know. But eventually, Font started coming through with his own jabs. Was it just the adjustment of like, okay, if I can't avoid Giannis's jab, I'll just like jab him at the same time?
1: I think so. I think it was his, his want to simultaneously counter, right? Those intercepting counters or the simultaneous counter shots where you jab with a jabber. You know, I think his responsibility to simultaneously counter uh, uh, Giannis' jab or even jabbing up a little bit on the lead, he's got a good understanding of distance and timing when you go to that same that, that same setup over or you go to that same strike over and over and over. I don't think that's something you want to do with Rob Font. And you start to add things. There are things you have to account for, like someone else's conditioning. So you you winning multiple punch kick sequences that are making you more tired and fatiguing you to a greater extent may actually be working against you in the long run, You know, in the long run being 15 or 25 minutes. So like when we when we make when we throw little catch split phrases around or like little jokes like it was till it wasn't or it was winning till it was like, Yes, you gotta understand what you're contending with. And what you're contending with is a fighter that has never been knocked out. And yes, it'd be a great feather in the cap of a of a very, very good young fighter to knock out Rob Font, but I think like that's a bit of a foolish errand if that's if that's your game plan to get him out of there. But I think he could have done, what I think he could have done very easily if he wanted to put uh, a calf kick behind that jab of his and mix in some shit. I think he could have made it really, really uncomfortable for for font and at the same time not allow font to start timing over and over and over the 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 jab inside slip or that the, the jab head position of Yanez in an attempt to, to strictly find his right hand. Do you think
0: maybe the thing you said about breaking your opponent's rhythm that you mentioned earlier with Adesanya and Pereira applies here where that simultaneous jab started throwing Giannis off of his game or off of his rhythm or maybe just like pissing him off or just interrupting him in some way?
1: Yes, but at the same time, he did have success even when he was getting picked off on his way in. And he would find that right hand. Now, it goes to what I said. You have to fight this individual according to some of the attributes and strengths that, that your opponent uh, has. And you have to contend with those things. Rob Falk can punch as well. So if you're doing nothing but like, eating a few to land a few, well, I mean, it becomes whos who's got the better chin at that point. Or um, – who finds that shot to the jaw, to the temple, uh, or or whatever it is? You just can't assume. You have to take into consideration how tough of an out striking wise Rob Font really is. So you can mix some things up. You can you're able to win a decision, or you're able to mix in some of those blitzes or strong combinations that you put together, and not just you know think you're going to bully Rob Font because that's a it's a fucking bad idea.
0: And being an old school Eve Edwards fan, I do remember one of the interesting things about Eve Edwards was he would do this inside slip to a jab to a right overhand. Sometimes he would even throw that jab kind of like a reverse fist to get underneath their guard or underneath their hands. And I wonder if that's the thing that he learned from Eve Edwards that used to work back in the day when fighters were awful. You can't get away with, against somebody like Raw
1: Font. We, gotta, like, we have to realize that Font can box as well. So a, a strong, uh, the, one of the stronger skill sets, probably the best skill set that Giannis brings to the table is his boxing. And I'm not going to say that Font neutralized it, but he was able to, to at least mitigate it because of his own boxing ability. They both had solid hand position. And they kept their chins tucked for the most part, and so that that coupled with Font having an excellent chin, those punches that you usually think that you think are going to debilitate your opponent end up exposing you if you don't come back with either another striking continuation of that striking combination. Or if you're not varied enough in strike selection to disrupt their rhythm and timing, the way, but if you're able to, i will say this all the time, Giannis went in there throwing nothing but fastballs because he threw a couple of no hitters in fucking college. (laughs) He he thought he can come into the bigs and throw nothing but heat. But I promise you, if you take that, that, yeah, you might have some fun and you might get some pretty impressive uh, strikeouts every once in a while. But a lot of motherfuckers are going to take you yard because they're able to sit on it. They're able to time it. And a lot of these fighters at the best of the best at the top of this game are first ball, fastball hitters. And if you come in with that shit, they're going to take you deep. And I think that's what Giannis did. I think he brought his, the game that got him there. Right. And that's great. But there's an evolution. There's a change once you get to the top five and the 135 pound division.
0: One other thing I wanted to touch upon is something we've noticed as a pattern. A fighter goes to fight ready and gets better even in the first fight with them. This time it was Kelvin Gastelum who looked good for the first time in a long time. Even getting a shopworn fighter to fight like they used to is a difficult task because of all the miles. And also they have different motivations and they might be filled with more doubt. So what improvements did Fight Ready make with Gaslam? Or do you think it was just more to do with the style matchup against Chris Curtis?
1: Well, here's how I see it. Like Gaslam's punch selection and setups were excellent. The other night, they, they were really great. And don't get me wrong, he's had those skills, right? And he's shown these techniques for years with moments of absolute brilliance. But a consistent, and complete strategy beyond just his one-two has been lacking for years as well. Right? When he finds it, he looks great. Um, he's got the goods. We know that when he's at his best or when someone can't contend with that one, too. But what I see from Fight Ready is that camp seems to instill a commitment to strategy built around, right? This is the most important key here, built around being a more complete MMA fighter and bringing an MMA mindset. And it's just something as simple as punching them into kick range and then letting those kicks fly, you know? If they want pizza, give them fucking pizza. And what do they want? Pick your poison. So I saw, I saw Gaslam, uh, his punches, kicks, wrestling, feints. They, they, they all had a, a setup in seemingly a reason built behind them. And also, those fight ready fighters seem to always have better cardio than they did prior to. You know, their strength and conditioning seems improved. And I think that has to do with the way. You know, you got an Olympian, an Olympic champion and uh, Henry Cejudo that brings that kind of training discipline in camp management to the table.
0: In the next UFC, we have Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen has only lost once, but in the UFC, he's been undefeated. His biggest problem has been that he's been plagued with injuries. But you look at the names he's beaten and he has an impressive resume. His last win was against Calvin Cater, though that was a knee injury victory. Holloway in his last fight took a bad beating from Volkanovski, but we all know how good Volkanovski is. In the past, I would have picked Holloway in a heartbeat, but now I don't know and the odds are fairly even for this fight. There's also the fact that Max hasn't done well with southpaws in the UFC. You got Dustin Poirier twice, Conor McGregor, and you have Alexander Volkanovsky, who can fight from both stances. And now you have Arnold Allen, who's another southpaw. So, Jason, where do you see Holloway at this point in his career? And can he come through against a southpaw?
1: Well, I don't ever count Max Holloway out. right? But the man has, oh, fuck, was he had like 26 fights in the UFC? Something like that? I think he was at one point
0: the youngest fighter in the UFC.
1: Yeah, he's been around for a long time, like 13, 14 years. That's a long professional career. But (laughs) here's a big but. I think the chin cardio and volume from Max Holloway make him the second best fighter at 145 pounds. So those things aren't going anywhere. I mean, the chin maybe, but I mean, he seems to have a chin, which might be the biggest problem i mean he's been in these <laughs> fights longer than he should have against uh, uh Volkanowski. so to that i think that the, the chin cardio and volume for max holloway are going to be a bit too steep of a learning curve for arnold allen at this stage of his career you know but at the same time i think even in, in defeat someone like allen will come out better for the beating that i anticipate him receiving from max holloway
0: so speaking of allen then what do you think of him as a fighter?
1: I feel like if if he wanted to, to like fight, he's so big, like he's increased, and he he looks like a roided up Jeffrey Dahmer. And he, there's the way the way he fights, he's just he's really really aggressive, and he's got good grappling. And if he wanted to fight me, I'd be like no, because <laughs> I don't want a guy who weighs forty pounds less than me to beat the shit out of me. Like I, he just seems like that kind of guy, like that, or he fights with that kind of verve. Uh, again, that kind of pace it is going to be tough to sustain against someone like Holloway. But I really like uh, Arnold Allen as a fighter. As a southpaw, he finds a, a real nice left hand. He can wrestle a bit. His uh, his grappling is good, and he looks strong as shit. And he, he he can obviously punch incredibly well. Um, but a lot of those things are. I speak to how like, physical he looks right, at 145 pounds and his ability to overwhelm some guys, like he overwhelmed Dan Hooker. I don't know if anyone that isn't Alexander Volkanovsky in that kind of ring craft and fight savvy is ever going to do that to Max Holloway. And I think Max Holloway eats that kind of Arnold Allen aggression. I think he eats it up. But I still like Arnold Allen as a fighter. I really do. We? I think I think he's going to be fantastic. I mean, he already is great. But I, I, I like watching him fight. I like the way he brings that shit forward.
0: And he used to be with Faraz Zahabi at TriStar. And now he's over with Leon Edwards' camp, which I think is a good move. And <laughs> doesn't seem like TriStar has anybody anymore. They're not really producing the same level of fighters. So I think that was a good move for Arnold Allen to keep developing. And Leon Edwards, his camp has shown that they are world-class level to the point where they could out-game plan and beat Kamaru Usman, who used to be the pound-for-pound number one fighter in the UFC. So can they come through again with Arnold Allen versus Max Holloway? You know, I would say 145 is a tougher division to plan for than 170. So it's going to be tough. And if he could beat Max, then now we're having a different conversation of can Arnold Allen compete with Alexander Volkanovsky. But as of right now, you're not quite sure if he could beat either of them.
1: That's the conversation I want to have with you after the fact. I do want to break that kind of shit down. right? If someone like Leon Edwards, who is a patient southpaw, against an aggressive with it like with an aggressive southpaw and arnold allen and can you can you teach him a little a bit a little bit more uh about the patience of the game and about fighting someone um who tends to drown people with volume like holloway does and uh if it's a pretty fucking impressive feather in his cap if he beats max holloway then everyone's going to start talking about ah Wokanowski and no max holloway on his worst day is still probably the third or fourth best fighter at 145 fucking pounds it's just it's just how it is he's probably even still in the top five pound
0: for pound of all the divisions right it's just that they don't want to have too many names from the same divisions but to be honest right he's up there I, i i believe that
1: I believe he's probably if we would truly do it up a, a true pound for pound and understanding of 145 pounds and how good of a fighter Volkanovski is and how good of a fighter Max Holloway is, then they're both like then Max Holloway is in the top five pound for pound. Yeah, and until you might be able to beat someone who's got great conditioning, or you can you can mimic that. And model that in sparring, uh, rotating and fresh guys all the time. You might be able to handle someone else's volume, right? But they, are you able to, to to handle the chin, the volume, the cardio? And he's also a very, very gifted fighter intellectually. He see uh, Max Holloway sees a lot. And he's more than just like high volume in, in cardio with like the Polynesian fighting spirit. He's a great fucking fighter. He'll make his own adjustments. He doesn't always
0: need his corner to give him observations.
1: Yes. He's one of the more gifted problem solvers. And Hey, some of it is like you have more time and composure to make, to, to make those adjustments and solve some problems when your chin is that good and you're you're not super tired. So again, those are all, those are all traits that you have to take into consideration. With Max Holloway, he's got a great chin. um, He's got that kind of volume and he's able to make decisions because of his cardio and his chin. And he always seems composed and with it, even whenever He's getting seriously outgunned by someone like Volkanowski in their last fight.
0: I don't want Max Holloway to necessarily lose, but we'll have a much more interesting conversation if Arnold Allen is able to come through and
1: beat Max Holloway. That's right. I mean, that gives us a lot to consider and then and how he does it. But if he does it and he just storms him because, like I said, he's a he's a big, strong young man and he just comes out there and just. I'd be really surprised if this happened. But if he did that, I'd be like, well, that's probably his best shot. Look how big he is. He's a, a pretty strong puncher. But if, imagine if he takes a little bit more of a methodical approach a la Leon Edwards and we're like, well then, what do we have here? <laughs> yeah, then you got to break things down round by round instead of just like giving a general ballpark description. Wait, either, either way, I look forward to how this fight unfolds. and uh, It's one of those that I look forward to discussing, you know, in anticipation of how it, how it plays out.
0: All right. That's it for this fight study.
1: If you like this episode and like what we do support us
0: on Patreon. We also have the liberation martial arts program. If you want to train with us from wherever you are, you'll find lots of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory. We also have fighters brew, which is a manga inspired martial arts audio series as well as Fighters Brew transcripts that include martial arts tutorials. You can find Liberation Martial Arts Online along with Fighters Brew on Patreon. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes. With all that said, thanks for listening.